Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of the Great Lakes Fishing Show. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. And if you have, I'd like to ask a favor of you. Please go to wherever you're listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast and leave a positive review. We would love a five-star review. Take a screenshot of the review and email it to trevor at greatinoutdoor.com along with your mailing address and we'll send you a Great Lakes Fishing Podcast decal for your boat or your cooler or wherever you want to put it. This week's show features an interview we did with Lance Valentine back in January at the Niagara Sports and Outdoor Show. We're talking Detroit River walleye fishing. If there's a topic you're interested in, let me know by emailing me at chris at greatlakesfishingpodcast.com. But for now, enjoy the show. And now we're joined by Lance Valentine. Welcome to the show, Lance. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Before we get going, just want to congratulate you on your award. <laughs> Talk about that, what that was all about. Wow. Um, actually, I was at the uh, National, Pro- National Professional Anglers Association back in January, and out of the blue, completely unbeknownst to me, I didn't even know this was I was even in for this. I actually uh, was named the 2019 Member of the Year. Uh, which goes to the member that focuses the most on education, passing on a passion for the sport, teaching people how to fish. Um, I didn't know that the guys in the, you know, this is a pretty prestigious group, and if you look at the the roster of people that are part of the group, it's 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 all the who's who of fishing. And to think that they even number one knew what I did, number two really understood it, number three actually recognized it was it, it was it was pretty amazing. It was very very surprising, and really still. Three weeks later, I'm still kind of still in shock that that happened. Yeah, well, you're doing a lot of great things, and I think what what people need, really, from all of our outdoor sports, is we need to grow them. We need to get yep. new people in the sport, and doing how to do that is to help them be successful. Yeah, and I, you know, I just did a seminar here at the show, and and I ended it with, you know, my passion for teaching people to fish. If you know how to fish, if I can help you catch fish more, you find it easier to take your buddy fishing, your kids fishing, your nephews fishing. Nobody wants to be bored when they're fishing. So if I can pass on some knowledge to you, you get better at it, you're more apt to take them, they're gonna be more apt to enjoy it, now we've got other anger. So we always tell guys, don't take your friends fish, take your friends fishing. But if people don't know how to fish and they're frustrated and they really struggle, they don't want somebody else to see that. So mm-hmm. passing on that knowledge, um, you know, I think my role is to get the parents and the grandparents educated so then they can take the kids. There's other people who do a great job of teaching the kids. That's not my forte, it's not, that's not what I do. Teaching the parents, the grandparents, how to take the kids fishing so that they can do it as a family, that's where I really think my role is and kind of what we try to accomplish at, at Teaching Fishing. So when you watch uh, NFL football, everyone wants to talk about a coach's coaching tree, the yep. people yep. Who, who've gone underneath them and, and taught. And that's what you're doing. You're building a coaching tree. Yeah. So you're teaching people to teach <laughs> other people. So you don't even know how many yeah. people you're teaching to fish. I, 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 you know, I never thought of it that way. You know, I have two guys with me now who started as students, you know, Dean Cushman and, and Chris McCauley, and both are captains. Dean did some seminars here. Chris is doing all of our Lawrence teaching now. So. I never really thought about it that way. And then you, you, you don't know who you reach. You don't know how that trickles down. So, uh, and I think that was part of that award that I really don't see at all, but people around the country actually seen some things. My name comes up in places where it really shouldn't. 
And, and you just don't know that. You get so focused on what you do, and then something like that happens, and you realize, you know, this is a bigger deal than, than what we think it is. Yeah, so you're, you're really helping people. And today what we want to talk to you about, though, is something kind of near and dear to your heart as well, and that's Detroit River yeah. Walleye Fishing. Yeah. Tell us how you get started with that. So, you know, I tried to be a tournament fisher when I first started. I always wanted to be a full-time angler or whatever that, whatever that was going to entail, right? And I started fishing the professional walleye trail. I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't a very good tournament angler, especially against that caliber of anglers. And my wife one year said, why don't you become a charter captain? And I thought, who in the heck would ever pay me to go fishing? Well, we had a few seminars. We had some people that were following us. So I said, okay, I'll start a charter. Well, everybody wanted to go to Detroit River. Nobody understood how to vertical jig and the boat control and all the stuff that goes into Detroit River. So I had fished there. Believe it or not, when I did my first charter in Detroit River, I had fished Detroit River 13 days of my whole life tournament fishing so I wasn't looking for two and three four pound fish right mm -hmm. so I didn't know where any of these charter spots were so um, I went down there I uh, pulled the boat back I'd usually do three trips a week three days a week and then go home um, now I go down there and I stay down there for 48 days I rent a house down there I'm a hundred and some miles one way away from my home so I stay there do two trips a day every single day uh, it's my happy place I get a chance for 50 days after the craziness of show season to go and all I have to worry about, and God bless my wife for this, all I have to worry about for those 50 days is fishing. I get up in the morning, I run a house with two of my buddy fishing buddies, I go to the marina, I take a group out, I have lunch, I take a second group out, I have dinner, I go to bed. My whole life for 50 days is immersed in fishing. I can't think of a better place to do it than the Detroit River. Easy fishing, hands-on fishing, right? So you actually have a rod in your hand, chance to catch the fish of a lifetime. Every, every time you're, you, you set the, the hook, could be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 pound fish that are there, and lots of two to eight pound fish. So I, I can't think of a better place to be able to do what I love to do, teaching people how to fish in a place where they can catch a lot of fish and have a good time doing it. Well, let's unwrap that in a second, but let's press rewind really quick. Okay. The Detroit River, you know, I remember it being kind of one yeah. of those places that nobody wanted to yeah. fish. So what's happened there to turn it into the fishery that it's that it is now? Yeah, so I, you know, I think the same time Lake Erie was known as the Dead Sea back in the '80s, right? You know, the Clean Water Act and some of the EPA stuff that really stopped all that industry from dumping all the crud into the river really changed that fishery, right? It changed Lake Erie, and obviously Lake Erie is connected to the Detroit River. So the Detroit River dumps into Lake Erie on the western end, where all the fish go to spawn. The west, most of the fish go to spawn west end of Lake Erie. Well, now you've got this really clean, really nice river with lots of spawning habitat, and that whole spawning run—it's been there forever, obviously. But now, with all as the population of Lake Erie, while I got better in the '80s and the '90s, all these fish started coming to the Detroit River. So now we don't have to go out to the big lake and fight the storms and fight the big water. We can now catch them in the Detroit River. You know, we vertical jig for them, and it's funny, I do seminars about vertical jigging. The vertical jigging thing really has only been, the first time I remember reading anything about it was uh, Mike McClellan and, and Bob Props came down, and uh, Randy Amonrood and Gary Roach, those four guys came to Detroit River, and they started vertical jigging, because everybody used to hand line, which is a big long weight, a spring-loaded reel, wire line, it's, it's, a lot of people call it meat fishing, but there's a, there's that's a whole other. The guys who do it, it's an art. Right. Um, but the jigging thing really didn't start till the mid '80s, and then it, as more fish got in there, more people did it. It caught on and caught on and caught on, and then we had the Trenton Channel, which is kind of the world famous part of the Detroit River. There used to be a, a Edison plant there creating electricity, and it would dump warm water. 
So you've got this 58, 59 degree water going into Lake Erie, that's 38. We had this big, huge rush of fish and the Trenton Channel just got known nationwide. And that's when it really blew up. Mm -hmm. TV, articles, you know, that, that late 80s, early 90s, that's when it really, really, really blew up. And now it's just a world-class fishery all the time. Do you spend 50 days there? When does your season start? So I usually start uh, right around April 7th, April 8th, somewhere in there. Um, I really can't go earlier because we have shows right up until the last weekend of March. Fishing starts as soon as you can get on the river. Uh, it's better, you know, the best fishing is probably mid-April through Memorial Day. Believe it or not, fishing is better in May than it ever is in April. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys get there too early. Um, but we have show commitments, so I would be down there a little bit earlier, but right, right that first, End of the first week, start of the second week of, of April is when I'm there. How do you attack the river? So I personally am a vertical jigger. I like having a rod in my hand. I like you know the boat control part of it, keeping the jig vertical, moving the boat with the fishing line and staying vertical. My customers like that. They're having a rod in their hand and actually catching the fish. So uh, we fish big jigs. We designed a jig about 15 years ago specifically for heavy current from scratch. We built a jig that cuts the current and stays straight in the current, doesn't spin and hits with the nose down so the hook's off the bottom. Uh, and all we're doing is simply lifting that jig six, eight inches on a tight line, dropping on a tight line, hitting the bottom and lifting it back up. And when you, know, when you feel anything different on that jig, you just set the hook and, and away you go. So um, we've designed our, our jig for that. Uh, stinger hooks, we use a lot of stinger hooks. We designed a stinger hook that kind of works. We worked with big bite uh, plastics, big bite baits, and we have a series of uh, walleye plastics that we designed for the Detroit River specifically. And then uh, about 10 years ago, we designed a fishing rod for them. We use a very, very short, stiff fishing rod, five and a half foot, medium heavy rod. Um, you don't want any bending rod on, the, on when you're vertical jigging. You want to be able to feel anything that happens on that jig, you want to be able to feel. And the longer and softer the rod is, the more the fish has to suck the jig in for you to feel it. Well, the problem is in that, especially in that cold water and that current, they suck it in and feel any pressure, they're gonna let it go. So you want a short, stiff fishing rod, so the minute you feel something different on your jig, you lift that rod and you got that fish. You talked, one of the things that I keep hearing you say is boat control yeah. and current. Yeah. How do you handle that? So um, I teach boat control with three simple words. Follow your line. Because what you're trying to do, if your line is vertical, that means that your jig is going downstream the same speed and direction that natural current brings natural food to the fish. Fish in a river don't go hunting for food like fish in a lake do. They wait for the current to bring it. If your line is vertical, that means your jig is going downstream the same speed as natural food is coming. The problem is, the slowest current is where the fish live on the bottom. The fastest current is where the boat is on the top. So the boat's moving at a different speed. Now you add wind, and now you got a big problem. So what you do is just simply put your jig to the bottom, watch where your line is going, and simply drive your boat with a bow trolling motor to your line. That's all you're gonna do. And you drive it and keep it vertical. Now, a lot of guys make the mistake of they make big changes. They let their jig get off vertical, they drive up to it, and then they're off. I'm a big believer in lots of small changes. So I use a motor guide XI-5. I went to the remote instead of the foot pedal because with customers I can go back to the boat and still help them. But what we found out by using electric steer motors, we can hook a computer to it. I'm making about 35 to 38 changes every minute. So I am constantly a little more speed, a little less speed, a little left, a little right, a little more speed, a little left, constantly moving. So I try to make really, really small changes and make a lot of those. My goal is to keep my fishing line vertical in a circle about the size of a silver dollar. That's my goal. If you can do that, you're going to catch a lot of fish. So you're working hard. This isn't a, something a guy can go out and do by themselves. And this is kind of a team effort type of thing. Yeah, the, the guy in the front has one, the guy running the boat has one responsibility, keep his jig vertical. And we're usually what we do is we have the guy in the front use a lighter jig. So I use a three-quarter ounce jig and the rest of my customers use a one ounce jig. 
the people in the back of the side of the boats, they have to work hard at staying vertical, but they also have to move. You can't just stand in one spot because sometimes the boat drifts weird and you're in the corner and that jig, the guy in the front's vertical, that's, all, that's his only job. Mm -hmm. Your line may be underneath the boat. Now you just need to pick your ride up and move towards back of the transom and keep your line vertical. So the other people in the boat have to move a little bit based on what the guy who's controlling the boat is actually staying vertical and doing. It's a big river. How do you find a spot that's better than another? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, it's 32 miles of river. Um, it starts at the bottom of Lake St. Clair and obviously terminates at the top of, of Lake Erie. Uh, about a mile wide most places, a little bit narrow that in some places. Um, it, 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 it's a lot of pre-planning, right? And now I've been doing it for so many years that I kind of have an idea, but if you're coming there the first time, you have to understand what the fish are doing when you're going to be there. What's the water temperature? Not the surface temperature, what's the water temperature on the bottom? Too many guys get fooled that, oh my God, it's that magical 44, 46, 48 degree. The fish are spawning. Well, six feet below the surface, it's 39. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not where you think they would be, right? So you have to understand that. Um, I break the river down basically three different types of areas. I call, I call them passing areas, resting areas, and I call them feeding areas. So a passing area is a long, straight stretch of the river. If the fish are active and the weather's been stable, these fish are moving up and down the river, they're coming in, they're going out. These are just long, straight, it may be 20 feet for a long, just big flats, right? And this is a search and destroy. You just get on there, you just start fishing, and you just keep moving up and down and look for fish. Resting areas are places that anybody that fishes a big or small river will understand. Backside of points any kind of cover, anytime there's a hump on the bottom, right? Anytime you've got slack water, that's where the fish rest. That's probably your best chance. Find these spots where you've got slack water close to heavy current, just like you would if you were steelhead fishing or brown trout fishing in a small stream. Same thing applies just on a bigger scale. Then the last one's what I call feeding areas. And these are usually top of the ledges, usually flats, and usually shoreline connected. So depending on the time of year and how the weather is and the stability and where the fish are in the spawn process, one of those three types of places helps you kind of break the river down. Now the beauty is there's lots of places in the river that you can fish a two mile stretch of river and have all of that in a little area. Um, I use my side imaging a lot. So I'll pull in, I'll go, this looks like a good spot. I'll start fishing and as I'm fishing, drifting down the river, I'm looking to the side 100 feet to both sides. I'm looking for fish, looking for a pot of fish, maybe I'm looking for a signal. I'm also watching the other anglers. So if everybody's fishing down the middle of a channel in a passing area, I'm not gonna get in the middle of that channel. I'm gonna get up on shallow water and see if there's any really aggressive fish. Whole time doing that, I'm watching that group in the channel. Because if they start catching a bunch, I may not slide into that channel, but I know now that the fish are in the bottom of the channel. So I may slide over to a channel closer to me. All of that goes into it. I would tell you the biggest thing in Detroit River is side imaging is huge. Being able to look 100 feet both sides. You have to keep moving until you find something good. And when you find something good, stay on it until it's no longer good. Because those fish don't bite for a long time and they're constantly moving. Mm -hmm. So if you get a nice little bite, you get a 100 yard stretch, you need to get done, get back up and fish it again, and get back up and fish it again, get back up and fish it again. Then when it dies, go look for something else and start looking for fish again. Yeah, is it a morning bite, evening bite? How, Do how doesn't does really matter, matter. doesn't really matter. Is, you know? Does weather affect it at all? Weather can affect it. Here's what affects it, wind and water clarity. Dirty water shuts the bite off hard. Now, if, if you look at a map, um, the Detroit River is on the far west side of Lake St. Clair. The Canadian side, the south shore and the east shore of Lake St. Clair are very, very large. The north shore is all Ontario. There's a bunch of rivers that dump in. Those rivers are always muddy. So traditionally, if there's no wind, that mud stays on the east shore of St. Clair, the south shore of St. Clair, then comes down the east shore of the Canadian side of the Detroit River. You're okay. Mm -hmm you get a lot of east 
wind and blows that dirt over, it can shut your bite down in a hurry. Those fish, if you can't see three, four inches, if you can't see your cavitation plate, it's gonna be a tough day fishing. Um, that can affect it. Wind actually blowing up current, you get a day and a half of wind blowing up the current, actually makes fishing fantastic because that current, believe it or not, that, that current's humping two, two and a half miles an hour and it's 40, 45, 50 feet deep some places. But you get a wind, even a slight wind, enough wind to make a ripple on the water and it blows up current for about 20 hours. That current actually starts to back up a little bit. You'll see those fish on your sonar come off the bottom. They get a lot more active, they get a lot more happy, a lot easier to catch. So playing that can do it. Um, that time of year, you know, changes in weather, barometric pressure drop, that really doesn't affect them. They're there and you can catch them. Dirty water will definitely turn that bite off. How, do, how does that bite evolve throughout the year? Yeah, so, uh, you know, right now there's fish in there. And it, it's funny, we got guys catching right now, like, oh, the fish are showing up early. No, they're here every year. We just usually can't get out with the ice, right? right? So it's any typical river that's attached to a good walleye lake, fish start to come in in the fall and they hang there. But the bite evolves, the, the big quote unquote run. Um, we have fish that we know spawn in the Detroit River. They start about the middle of March and they end about the middle of June. So there's actually a pretty long spawn season, but um, fish will start moving in in big waves when we get some warm weather in late March, early April. We don't have the power plants discharging warm water anymore, so we don't get that false run. Um, so usually late March, early April, you'll start to see the first rush of, of big spawners. They'll come in, those fish usually come, do their deal, and leave. That next wave is the big wave. That's the wave that comes in at end of the first week, first part of the second week of April. They come in and stretch out over the whole 32 miles of the river. They come in, they set up, they eat for four, five, six days, they spawn, then they spend two weeks feeding out all the bait that's in the river. So that's when our fishing gets really good. Um, and then we get late spawners that come in from the deep part of Lake Erie on the Canadian side that come on the deep, faster part of the river, which is on the Canadian side in Amherstburg on the far east end, those fish come in last to spawn. So we get a nice rush of spawners from that part of the world. They come in like that second week of May. So there's legitimate post-spawn 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 pound fish in that river all the way into late May, sometimes even early June. Guys think it happens in a very, very short three, four day window in April. Eh, that's not the case. It's a, it's a constant deal. And a lot of those fish stay there. There's a resident fishery there. There are people who never leave that river and guide for walleyes all year and catch all kinds of two, four, five, six, seven, eight pound walleye. Fantastic muskie fishery in the river. Fantastic smallmouth. Oh, the smallmouth bass fishery is amazing in the Detroit River. Big perch fishing. Uh, if you want to catch big white bass, place to do it. Some of the best sturgeon fishing. They're illegal to catch to target, but you catch a lot of them jigging. It's just an awesome fishery that lasts a lot longer than people think it does. You talked a little bit earlier about the jigs you're using and the weight and everything. Are you using live bait with it? How no, are you doing it? no, no live bait. You know, uh, when I when I first started, the rule was when we got to about 50, 52 degrees, we'd switch from live bait to plastics. Um, and I, this was going to be my 11th year not buying any live bait. I used to go every morning and buy 10 dozen emerald shiners, mm -hmm. and then I'd probably go back in the afternoon and have to buy another three or four dozen, and never put a jig in the water without an emerald shiner. One day, I had a bucket of emerald shiners, a big five-gallon bucket, aerated bucket, and I, I, I went and got them in the morning. I drove up river 21 miles to my spot, right towards the bottom of Lake St. Clair. Got ready to fish, like, oh, crap. I left my bucket at the marina. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So the guy's like, we're not gonna use any bagels. No, I got some, I got these plastic tails we're gonna put on here. I'm thinking, oh, I don't wanna go back. So uh, we'll make one pass. So we put on tails, and I, we had used plastics as the water got warmer, so I had stuff in the boat. I, I knew it worked, but never thought it would work in you know that cold water, that 40 degree water. 
So we put them all on and we made our first drift. I think we caught nine or 10 our first drift with no live bait. I'm like, this is a whole lot easier, right? Mm -hmm. So we just started doing that and doing that and doing that and developing and then fishing, you know, half guys with, with bait, half guys without bait. And you just started to see that it was so much easier to catch fish without bait. And you don't have any downtime, right? You, you catch a fish on a piece of plastic, you unhook it, you throw it in the live, you're down the bottom. Right. No matter how good your jig or plastic is, you can't catch a fish if it's in your hand. It has to be, they work a lot better on the bottom of the, <laughs> bottom of the river. So plastics just made it easier. And now what we can do is we, we fish basically five different shapes. So now everything we fish isn't an emerald shiner. We can imitate a gizzard shad. We can imitate a log perch. We can imitate a crayfish. We can imitate a goby. We can imitate, we have these little silver lamprey eels. That swim. We can change our plastics to look like what the fish are actually feeding on. And I think we catch more fish because of that. Is there something about fishing the Detroit River that you see people, a common mistake that you see? I would tell you, yeah, that, that's, that's an awesome question. The biggest mistake I see people make, there's two. Number one, they don't concentrate enough on boat control. They're just kind of randomly drifting down the river. Number two, they spend too much time where they're not catching fish. They'll make a, a, an hour-long drift looking for something, right? Mm -hmm. There's no reason to do that with today's electronics. There's no reason to do that with as many people on the river. If you're in a group of anglers i'll pull up to a guy in the morning and like hey catch anything not nah, i haven't seen anybody catch fish in an hour I'm like why are you all still here then right right there's no reason with today's electronics and as dependable and as fuel efficient as our motors are make a 15 minute drift in a spot if there's nothing there get up and go move right use that side imaging to look 200 you're covering 200 feet of water 100 feet to each side look for fish find those fish before you you bite and if if you're on fish stay on them if you're not on fish get out of there there's something about fishing walleyes on the Detroit River we haven't talked about yet that you want to touch. <laughs> no, I, I I think we touch. It's 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 so much fun, right? Yeah. Having a rod in your hand is. I love to troll, and I, I know you like to troll. There's just something about having a rod in your hand and having a fish hit it. That just it's just special, right? It's 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 not any more or less fishing than trolling, but it's different, mm -hmm. right? It's a very, very great fishing. There's, there's lots of good boat ramps. You can do it in a 16-foot boat with a 25, 30 horse trolling motor. Or motor. You need a good bow mount trolling motor. You don't need a lot of equipment. A good short, stiff fishing rod. If you're a bass fisherman, you probably have that rod in your arsenal right now, right? No stretch fishing line. A couple one-ounce jigs and some plastics. Get to the bottom and stay vertical and go fishing. Anybody can do it. You can teach you know, a kid at 6, 7, 8, 10, you know, 10 years old. It's very easy to teach them how to stay vertical. They're not casting. They're not reeling. Just teach them how to feel the bottom, lift it up, feel the bottom again. It's very, very simple fishing, and it's an amazing fishery. You know, they're, they're saying close to 100 million walleyes in Lake Erie. A lot of those fish come through Detroit River. I would tell you our numbers are going to be in the, in the mid-20s, if not high 20 million fish in that river this spring. Get down here and enjoy it. It's very, very simple. You know, we've got some great information on our website. We share information. Um, I post a fishing report after every trip on my Facebook page. You can get that either on my Facebook page or at the website. There's a little bar on the side. I post a fishing report every trip where I'm fishing, how deep I'm fishing, a general area of the river, and what I caught the fish on. I want people to come out there and have a good time. If you've never been to Detroit River, either book a charter with myself or one of my guys, or get your boat, come out, talk to us before you come out. We'll get you all dialed in. It is an absolute riot to fish down there. How do they find you? LanceValentine.com. That's our, that's our charter page. Um, we have a charter calendar on there. If you have a question, just hit the contact us, send us an email. We'll be more than happy to do that. Walleye101.com is our online store. And we have, if you go to Walleye101.com, 
you'll see on the left side there's a column there. Just click on Detroit River and it's got all the rods, all the reels, all the plastics, all the line, everything we use for Detroit River is right there. You can get it out, we'll get it out to you the next day. You've got everything you need to go fishing. If they need help, either send us a, a, an email or get a hold of us on Facebook at Lance Valentine uh, Sport Fishing. More than happy to help. Awesome, Lance. Once again, congratulations on the Thank award. Thank you very much, Chris. Pretty appreciate awesome. It. Very uh, well deserved. And uh, thanks for having you. On, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.